Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by Magnanimous Rentals. Cameras, lenses, lights, and much more at the lowest rental rates online. Magnanimous Rentals, every order submitted at magrents.com. That's M-A-G-R-E-N-T-S.com. Every order submitted receives a discount. Inexpensive production essentials ship right to your door. Magrents.com. Go Magnanimous. Listen, I've been working with Magnanimous Rentals for a few years, and I love it. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have a production trip, which I travel at least once a month or so, and I pack my bags and my luggage with my clothes, I hop on my plane, I reach my destination, I get to my hotel or my Airbnb, and boom, my equipment is there waiting for me nicely packaged up. My cameras, my lenses, tripods, lights, I didn't have to travel with any expensive or heavy equipment, and it just made everything a breeze. I do my shoot. I knock it out of the park, I pack the equipment back into the packaging it came in, and I stop by UPS or FedEx on the way back to the airport, and boom, it's back on its way to Magnanimous Rentals. Super easy, super affordable, and listen, if you have a production in-house for your business and you can't justify purchasing camera equipment, this is a perfect affordable alternative for you guys. Rent the equipment that you need and then send it back. Magnanimous Rentals, go check them out at magrents.com. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Six Second Stories, where we help you maximize your impact through short-form storytelling. Today, my beautiful people, we have a special, special episode for you. We've been down for a couple weeks, you know, on vacation, enjoying the summer and all that. 
the early stages of the summer, Memorial Day, my birthday, Father's Day, you know, some holidays in there. But I didn't want to take a full summer break without giving you guys a little recap, a little highlight episode, if you will. You remember back when we used to watch Saved by the Bell and there'd inevitably be these episodes where (laughs) they're just kind of sitting in Mr. Belding's office and going over their favorite moments of the year before. So it wasn't its own episode. It was just kind of like a highlight reel to previous episodes. Well, that's what we're going to do today. Season two was so amazing. The first season of the Storytelling Lab, it was just me and you, one-on-one, me spewing little nuggets of wisdom and being very, very lonely. In season two, I brought the heat with some amazing, amazing guests, amazing storytellers, amazing marketers, and nonprofit communicators, and writers, and filmmakers, even an Oscar-nominated filmmaker, say what? It was amazing. So today, I want to go back and look at some of the highlights, some of the moments that stood out to me, because I know I've said this on a few of the episodes, a big part of this podcast journey for me is selfish. Like, I want to learn as much as I can. I want to pick as much as I can from the brains of these genius storytellers, okay? And in that journey, hopefully, you get to benefit too. I'm just kidding. It's for all of us, but I wouldn't lie to you and say that I don't get something out of it. So I'm going to take a look back at what I think are some of the strongest points made that will help us break down the art and science of storytelling, like we try to do here on the Storytelling Lab. We covered a lot of ground in Season 2. I urge you to go back and check out some of the uh, some of the episodes that pertain to the situations that you are in. And hopefully today's episode will give you a little taste and maybe help you find the episodes that will speak to you the most. So, I'm going to stop talking. Here's the highlight reel, the recap episode of the marvelous season two of the Storytelling Lab. So when I set out to make the Storytelling Lab, I knew well before we started booking guests that I was going to want to talk to my next guest, Annie Beth Brown Donahue now. I knew her growing up as Annie Beth Brown, and she was one of the smartest girls in my school, and we were in show choir together, and we you know, everybody goes their separate ways in college and you lose touch and then all of a sudden social media comes out and you all gain touch back again. And so we did that and we realized that we had a lot in common and a lot of different interests and worked in similar fields. She is a writer and specifically a writer in the healthcare industry. And I'm a filmmaker that does a lot of work in the healthcare industry and that's something that I care a lot about. So, We talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about many things. And her episode was amazing. She is an amazing person doing great work in the world. But I had to talk to her about a struggle that I felt sometimes working with hospitals or healthcare providers or doctors. When it comes to storytelling, oftentimes people that are in fields that are really data-driven, really fact-driven, struggle to do something as heartfelt as tell a story, right? They want to give you the facts, just the facts, ma'am, right? Like the data, the science, the statistics. But when it comes to telling heartfelt, poignant stories, 
that artistic, that creative aspect of it, sometimes they struggle. And so I asked her, because this is what she tried to do with her blogging and her writing, I asked her if she had any pushback in the healthcare industry when she was trying to help them understand the power of storytelling and the power of a narrative. Check it out. Have you found it hard to get people to understand why storytelling is as effective as it is? Absolutely. And, and <laughs> There's wh- a lot of pushback Yeah, there. why do you think that is? I don't think that they understand the impact, the emotional impact of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they understand the psychology of the emotional impact of storytelling. Because if we learn something and it has an emotional impact on us, we will retain that information. And then we often will act on it because we've retained it. And I think that, that maybe people think, well, that's just fluff. You know, that's not, we need to get it down to the nuts and bolts. They want um, something that looks like a, a how-to guide or, you know, bullet points. Dun, dun, dun. And that's great, and it's concise. And if I was looking something up in a book and needed to find information fast, that's a nice format. But if you're really trying to get me to understand the importance of something, then I need it in a story format. So the word stereotype often has a bad connotation, but speaking from a psychology standpoint, the reason our brain actually has uh, types, maybe we should say types instead of stereotypes because that might sound a little (laughs) more literary, but our brain has types in it and it's how we organize information Mm -hmm. and how we decide if people are trustworthy, safe, reliable, uh, if they're like us, basically. Mm So when we see things that trigger this like us um, file in our brain, then we automatically, it's the no like trust. So you automatically no like trust this person because you think they are like you. So if you can identify, um, if you can, okay, so let's say you're a physician and you want to connect with um, your specialist and you want to connect with, say, cancer patients. If you find the ideal avatar or the ideal uh, you know, person that you are trying to serve and you find things that are very specific to that person and you can incorporate them into your story, to those details into your storytelling, then that person's going to read that or hear that and they're going to recognize themselves. And when they recognize themselves, it triggers that file in their brain, that type in their brain that says, this person is safe or trustworthy because I identify something about myself with them. Therefore, I can, um, you know, I might want to go see this doctor or invest in that service or, you know, you, you've identified with that person um, on, uh, on a subconscious level almost. Does yeah, that make sense? Totally. It comes back to human connection. You know, I love that. Uh, this is something I say too about the characters that we, I mean, this is essentially what you're saying, just another way to say it. The characters that we create, whether making a film or a, a, a fiction uh, book, story, um, character, I often tell people that create characters that people can relate to. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that they don't just have to like them. Liking is good, but it's more about the relating to them. Yes. Right? So this next guest, I have to give an extra special shout out to our podcast producer, Audrey. Audrey 
came with it for this guest. So she hit me up. Um, she had just started working with me and said, you know, oh, she was really excited. She's like, oh, I think I got somebody really good. She told me about this show on Netflix about storytelling. It was about the different stories. It's called Myths and Monsters. It was about the different stories that we have told over time and the roles they play in our society. And Audrey booked Will Simpson, who is the writer and co-producer of the show, to come on the podcast and talk about it. Now, I nerded out and watched the whole series, and it was mainly focused on European myths and legends that have been passed down for generations that, that we all know, the classics, they call them. And I just loved it, and, and I couldn't wait to talk to him. And so when I when I had him on the show, we talked about how society now still interacts with these stories and how these stories have changed, these classic stories, and how we still utilize them to create our structure of society and our myths and orders that we that we are a part of. And specifically, I wanted to know which stories resonated with audiences the most. What are the stories that we see time and time again? What are the themes? What are the themes that people connect to that we keep seeing no matter how many years and millennia pass when we tell our stories? We tend to kind of recycle the same stories, do you think? Or at least the same oh, themes. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think, if if even if we're very different as people, I think there are those ingredients within us which are the same, and there are desires and emotions which we have in common. Mm. And I think you know, with those traits, we're going to be drawn to certain types of stories. Um, you know, different cultures, different societies will do very different things with those stories. Yeah. But but I absolutely agree that, 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 that I think you only have to look at, you know, just the history of literature and the history of stories across the world to see that. What are what are some of the, the themes that we always come back to? Well, I mean, it's as we I'm going to sort of plug my own stuff now, but with uh, <laughs> Myths and Monsters and available now on Netflix. Um with each episode of, of the show, we, we, we looked at a, a different theme. We looked, mm-hmm. at, we looked at love. We looked at, we looked at war. We looked at society. Death. Um, and death, absolutely. Um, so those are sort of universal ideas of, okay, you know, who are we? Where do we come from? Mm. Where are we going? How do we get along with each other? Mm-hmm. Why, do we, why do we not get along with each other? Those sort of questions, I think any society has to grapple with um and reading the stories from the past seeing how they were they sort of use those stories to to deal with issues in their societies and how then later on we have taken those stories and retooled them and reinterpreted them and restaged them or whatever for our own society um is 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 really testament to the power of 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 story so the past two highlights kind of focused on the overall issue of why storytelling is important, why it works, why it connects with us as humans. But now I want to talk a little bit about how we use stories to sell ourselves, to sell our brands, right? How do we tell our stories, the stories of our organizations, of our companies? 
So working on another film, I ran across a connection with a very, very interesting lady who I became great friends with very quickly. Her name is Catherine Laughlin, Dr. Catherine Laughlin, that is. And she is into place science, the science of places, the stories of places. And it was a really unique angle, but it's still something that we can all learn on. But she specifically works with towns and places on how to brand themselves, how to tell their story. So I talked to her about where you even start with that, where you even start with telling the story and branding a town and how you find those unique qualities to package up in a narrative. And so she had some great tips on how to find your unique qualities and what makes you you. And yes, she's talking about towns, but you can also apply it to people. Check it out. How could they benefit from diving deeper into play science and in in their strategy? Right. So I think that a lot of brands, you know, what's interesting is that if you look around today, places are getting brands. Mm -hmm. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of branding going on with places. Durham is totally branded. Exactly. And sometimes, like, I end up working in a lot of cities where people went to a placemaking workshop and they got two ideas. We needed a bike lane and we need a brand, which sometimes is putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because to have a brand, you have to know what your value is and Mm -hmm. what you present to the market that is a differentiator from everybody else. And so I think with any brand, before we even talk about how you tell the story of the brand, is understanding what is the value that you contribute that make you have a competitive advantage over something else. Mm -hmm. And teasing that out. um, When I used to work with nonprofits in media relations, and, and even today in the play science, you know, I tell mayors, all cities collect garbage. Mm-hmm. All cities fill potholes to varying levels. But when mayors want to talk about their place, they end up talking about garbage pickup mm-hmm. and customer service. And And I'm like, no, what are the things you give that people can't get everywhere else? Because what we learn from Soul of the Community is that it is the softer sides of place that people fall in love with. It's not you know, the want ads, frankly, or the garbage collection that mayors have really just focused on for so long. So what are the softer sides of what you do? All nonprofits serve humans in some way. Mm -hmm. So saying, you know, we're a human service provider. Wonderful. But what (laughs) do you do that is different? And how do you know you're making a difference in what you're doing? And that's where your brand starts to come from not a human service provider, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, But I think it's really important for cities to nonprofits to any organization that when they start with their brand, you start first with your uniqueness. Yeah, That brings you and that can separate you from the crowd a little bit. And Place Science can help you with that because one of the things I help cities do is uncover their narrative as a place. Yeah, I was going right there. It's perfect. (laughs) I want to dive deeper into that because... I find myself saying the same thing to people I might be creating a video for. Yeah. Uh, let's say it's a catering company. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, well what do you do? Uh, you know, right. well, we provide good food at an affordable cost. You know, like yes. like you said, why would I go to you versus right. ABC Catering? Sure. So what I've also noticed is when you ask people like that, sometimes they get a little defensive, right? That's right. Because they don't really know the answer. That's exactly right. So 
And it's not easy for people to say, even if I were to ask you or an individual, like, mm -hmm. what's unique about you? Mm -hmm. What's your selling point? Mm -hmm. Like, it's hard mm -hmm. for people sometimes mm -hmm. to flip the camera around mm -hmm. and look at themselves. Mm -hmm. So what are the exercises that brands, people, anyone one could take to find their, their narrative? I know I've done it myself and it's messy and it's yes. ugly and you have to be vulnerable and sometimes it's not fun, right? So right. I, that's why people resist it. But are, are there any specific, what do you use when you're working with places to start to unearth their unique qualities when they struggle to, to identify them. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that I do is, is I have to be specific about where mm -hmm. you're, what are the sources of your narrative? Mm -hmm. So we talk about, there's a slide and I have a whole workshop where I do just like uncovering your narrative. And it's like, well, there are different sources of your narrative. One of the things that cities did not do well in the last decade is that they only pulled from one bucket to define themselves yeah. as one thing. So Charlotte was the banking town. Right. Well, then all the banks pulled out. Yeah. And Charlotte was like, what are Who we are now? We? Wow. Yeah. So it, the Major. first rule is you're not just one thing. Yeah. So be willing to be multidimensional and be okay with the messiness of what that might be. Yeah. Durham was a uh, tobacco town. Toba exactly. Then big tobacco went down and now, yeah and, yeah. and it's just like what, and there was this moment yeah. in 2010 when the economies were falling out of places, um, you know, through that, through that period that it was a real interesting time to be studying places because you could see the ones that had some sense of who they were beyond one thing. Right. So it's your history. What is your history mm -hmm. as your, as the place? What is the culture of the place? Like what is the spirit of this yes. place? Is this Huge. an up by your bootstraps or is this an entrepreneurial place mm -hmm. or is this a reinvention place or, you know, all places, the people, and that's really important for people to understand about a brand or a place or anything like that. It is a service, but then it's the people that create that product. Yeah. You know, it's not just a cup, you know, it's what's behind the making yeah. of the cup, but also how communities and places can figure out. And I think this is a really hard thing is how much of our brand is truth and how much of it is aspirational mm -hmm. because sometimes brands can be all mission statement, you know, yeah. aspirational, but it's not who they are quite yet. Mm. So when people buy that brand and it's a purely aspirate, then there's a little of that bait and switch, you know, yeah. you're not quite that yet. So I always tell places 80, 20, 80% realistic, 20% yeah. aspirational. 80, 80, 20. So this next guest, I was really excited to have on and talk to. Um, she's an amazing storyteller and someone I would like to model my career after. Um, she is a screenwriter and also helps businesses and people learn how to tell their stories better. And so me being a filmmaker and having a business that does this, I'm like, man, that's it's someone I really look up to. And she did not disappoint. We got really excited. She's she's more animated than I am. And she just said all the things that I couldn't get away with saying, and I was super excited about it. But I really am excited about something that she calls uh, the swirl effect. I know it as finding your unique intersections. And it's it's the same thing that we talked about recently with Catherine, where we're trying to find how to tell our story best. What makes our story special? What makes our story unique? 
Because that's not always easy. We don't just know off the bat. It takes a lot of work to find that, okay? And especially if we're really goal-oriented and there's a, a certain thing we're trying to achieve. If we have a business, how do we tell the story of our business so that it helps us achieve our mission or sell our product or raise awareness for our cause, whatever that may be, whatever that may look like? So we called it different things but we both had an interest in helping people find those unique intersections or where that squirrel comes together. Melissa Casera is an amazing human being, and here's a little gem from our episode. The first thing I run all of my clients through is, I mentioned earlier, through my swirl exercise, mm-hmm. which is essentially figuring out what I call like your lead swirl is. Mm. So, so we often have lots of professional skills, lots of passions, and lots of guilty pleasures, right? Like if I asked you that right now, you'd probably have a huge laundry list. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that all of those are so prevalent in your everyday life, right? So, So essentially part of it is sort of doing a brain dump of all of those things and then coming to a place where you say, okay, here's like my main professional skill, one or two things that mm-hmm. you're absolutely excellent, like your, your true area of excellence, your main passion, which is not something that's like you like today, but a month from now, you're not going to like anymore. It's, it's something that you're like, is just so deep in your bones. Right. And your guilty pleasure. So like for me, it's a mixture of uh, my professional skill is publicity or storytelling. Mm -hmm. My um, passion is pop culture. So movies, TV, and my guilty pleasure is coffee. (laughs) So those are things that no matter what are just baked into my body and are never going to go away. Okay. So now that I have that, this is my swirl. This is what I know. I can infuse that absolutely everywhere. So I'll Mm. give you a couple of examples so your listeners will understand. So the first thing you want to do is you want to look at like your copy, your messaging. This can be anything from what's going on your website to what's going on your social media profiles. Your swirl should be all over that, Mm. right? I want to know this about you. And it will also make you stand out because no one has that unique combination. Like how many people do you know that are storytellers plus pop culture enthusiasts plus coffee addicts, right? Not that many people. So that's going to help you to stand out. And whatever your you know, unique swirl is, is going to be way different than mine, even if we do a similar thing. It'll mm-hmm. make us stand out 100%. from one another. Um, then you want to look at what I call creating sexy space and time to breathe in your business. So we often, especially for like nonprofits, like you said, we often load up with too many things. It's like, now I want to launch this or do this or do that. And with nonprofits, they're always looking for ways that they can raise money, right? And so that means that oftentimes they'll be like doing a million different events or a million different crowdfunding campaigns or whatever it is. And it's just like loading upon loading upon loading. And spinning in circles. (laughs) Spinning, 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 and never giving enough time, energy, and effort to one particular thing, right? Mm. So so I always have my clients go through, like, literally do a brain dump of everything that they have existing in their business or mm. nonprofit, in your case, um, and then a brain dump of everything that they think in their brain is a good idea <laughs> they want to do, right? <laughs> because, Lovely. Because – 
ideas are real great in your head, but yeah, when they come right, down to the right, world, they're not right. so great. So, so I have them do that, and then I have them go through it, comb through everything with the lens of their swirl, right? So what happens then is they start to realize, well, okay, I'm only doing this because I think it's an easy way to make money, mm-hmm. or I'm only doing this because I think it's in, because so and so did it with their nonprofit, <laughs> and it, so maybe I should do it, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, it's like taking a good, hard, honest look at why you have what you have there and stripping that away, like ruthlessly crossing stuff off and just like getting rid of it. Because if it doesn't fit your swirl, if it doesn't fit like your brand, then get rid of it. It doesn't It doesn't matter. Don't You don't need right. it in your business. And then it's about the things that do remain, looking at that through a new lens of how can you make this more pleasurable for both you and for your audience. Mm-hmm. So an example would be like if you tell me I have to do a webinar – I will shut down. I hate webinars. I don't like watching them. I don't like doing them. I love teaching, but like the whole notion of a webinar just makes me want to like stick a pen in my eye. It's terrible. But if you tell me that we're going to do a coffee break, right, where for a half an hour we drink coffee together and I'm just going to chat with you just like I would sit with you in person and have a latte at Starbucks, right, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk all things storytelling and then we're going to release that video or people will watch that video live, I'm in. I'm 100% yes, right? So it's more about doing that. You can still use the construct of marketing strategies and techniques that work, but you have to swirl it and make it interesting for you. Right. So that's all it is. It's same thing with my teaching, like my entire online course. I demonstrate every marketing and publicity concept using a pop culture tie in Mm. because that's fun for me. It makes it easier for me to do that. And it also makes it easier for other people to digest whether they're pop culture fans or not. Right. They're going to understand a concept much easier if I'm using Game of Thrones to describe it. Verse, you know, verse just telling you in my jargon, professional jargon, Mm -hmm. how to do it. So I first met this next guest in a very weird way uh, over 10 years ago. Uh, I filmed him and his new wife, (laughs) Paige, um, for the Rachel Ray show because they were competing in a first dance off. They had a first dance video from their wedding that went viral, and they were invited to the show to compete with a couple other guests. And Jake and Paige Failing are both amazing human beings, and they continue to be amazing human beings. Um, they moved from Raleigh, North Carolina to Charlotte, and they're dominating the space there. They got an awesome podcast. I think it's Date Night with Jake and Paige. Um, Paige is, uh, on one of the local news stations there and Jake works for movement mortgage. And I think he is the VP of marketing and you'll find out why, but after now in this recap episode where we've talked about, okay, why is storytelling important? Why do we need to tell stories? And then we said, okay, how do we unearth our unique qualities or find our swirl effect like a Melissa calls it? Well, now we need to get down to the nitty gritty of like, how do we do it? Okay, we know ourselves. We know how, We know what makes us special. We know we need to tell stories. Where do we begin? How do we do it? There's so many different platforms. There's so many different tools. So Jake even though he works in the mortgage industry and they market like, I mean, they just changed the game as far as I'm concerned in terms of branding and marketing and advertising. They have hilarious 
content and sometimes very poignant. It's all relatable and it's all very shareable, right? Uh, so I definitely suggest uh, checking them out uh, for content or for mortgages. Um, <laughs> so I had, even though Jake is talking about mortgages, you can see very easily how to apply this to your business. And I had him break it down very simply. When you're overwhelmed, you don't know where to start. What's your first step? Check it out. Not everybody is using the tools Mm -hmm. and not everybody is leveraging them to their utmost capability. Do you have a Facebook business page? And I know that may seem absurd to your listeners, but I say, do you have a Facebook business page? Yes. Okay. Let's start there. If you got a Facebook business page at every closing, do you take a picture of your client, you know, the people that are buying the home, and then do you tag them and congratulate them? Okay, cool. You're doing that. All right. Now, the third step is um, what does the content look like around that? We have one of our loan officers who, um, through our custom marketing department, created these um, keys. They're giant keys. And it looks, you know, obviously you're moving into a new home, but he's also doing some where he gives back, like he gives to a charity um, as part of the whole process. And he does a boomerang where people are like, you know, they're doing their key. And so it's, look, it is not rocket science. It's basic. (laughs) But people know that at every closing, he's going to do a boomerang with these giant set of keys. And that's his thing. And so that's what I say is like, do you have a, a, a boomerang, a key boomerang? Yeah consistent piece of content to go along with that. And so if you've got all three of those things, then great. Then we could talk about running ads and things like that. Look, I believe me. I know that Facebook is pay to play. Like don't again, please don't hear me saying any of this stuff, but just the basics. It doesn't matter if 20 people like the post. If 18 of them are either past or prospective clients, customers, and then the other two are new people that are part of that sphere of influence. Then those two people are leads and you've just made your 18 other raving fans even more raving than they were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so nurture that group, focus on that group, and then that will eventually expand. Don't go chasing, um, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't get 100 likes or I didn't get 200 likes or, oh man, I, I'm, I'm, I know I should be on Snapchat or I know I should be doing that. Like, Yes, in a dream scenario, that's great. If you've got the resources, great. But find your strengths, find where you hang out on social media or wherever in your personal brand and then triple down on that. This next guest was our first guest for season two. I was super excited to have her on because we had just got done collaborating on some video projects that made me and a bunch of other people cry. Brittany Jennings works worked, I should say, uh, with the Red Cross And we met after the historic, devastating Hurricane Florence that came in 2018. And I collaborated with the Red Cross on a couple different video projects based off of their efforts for Hurricane Florence, which were, I mean, widespread is putting it very lightly. It was all over the the eastern half of North Carolina. And Brittany was the communications manager there. I think she has now gone on to, I think she works for the University of North Carolina, which is also an awesome job. But she came from a journalistic background, and that's why we hit it off so quickly. And that's why she understood what we were trying to do when I pitched them the idea to tell a story and not just do a video full of stats. So when I had her on, we talked about, okay, we're all competing for attention, but these channels that we, that we want to talk about us, they're also 
they're starved for content. They have to produce content all the time so you can get to them. It's just a matter of how do you get to them. If you're a nonprofit, which she was working with, how do you get people to share your stories? And she had some really good insight on how to do it. But then she also talked about something that I've been trying to focus on and I try to help my clients with, which is keep it simple and go deeper, not wider, okay? There's a recent client that uh, we just had to do this. We had to scale back because we were trying to produce content for seven or eight channels and we're wearing ourselves thin and the quality of the content wasn't there. So instead, we pared it down to what are the ones that we're already on them that are doing well. And that's where we tried to focus. So Brittany tells us how to go about that strategically so that you can go deeper and not wider and have the most impact. Check it out. What kind of, what are you focusing on in the next year or so? I'm working on really digging deep into the platforms we're already on. Okay. So making those better mm-hmm. um, and not spreading my content so thin. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, as the Red Cross of Eastern North Carolina, we had 30 different social media platforms running. You know, we had 10 Facebook groups and oh, 10 wow. Twitter sites and a couple a Instagram accounts. And how many people were in charge of all this? So you had so, a lot. Okay. You had so a lot of hands one, in the like, pot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah which yeah. is also problematic. Yes, it is. And so you're diluting your message mm-hmm. and often the same content is going on each of those channels. So we've really tried to boil that down and have one Facebook account and one Twitter yeah. account and one Instagram, one LinkedIn. It's, um, it's back to that. <clears throat> The idea of depth, yep, you know, uh, and not going wide. Keeping it going simple, deep. yeah, exactly. going very deep. A couple deep. of channels that you really connect with your audience yep. on, go deeper. I like that. Well, and it keeps all of your content on anything you're putting out really clean too. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put ten Facebook sites onto yes. one flyer. You yeah. can put one. Oh, you yes. know, and same goes with your website. You know what it makes me think about too is, um, you know, you mentioned. Think about your reader for the press mm-hmm. release. Well, think about your audience of social media too. Externally. Or, you know, we've worked with you guys. I, I would want to tag you in something. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if I'm going to tag you, which those Who kinds of things tag? help when other people are yeah. shouting you out. I mean, yep. that's how it works, right? That's how yep. you get the, the organic reach. And if I'm trying to tag you and don't know which, you know, which platform to use or which right. screen name to use, yeah, that's probably gets muddy so, really fast. Yeah, it does get muddy. Yep. That's a good point. So simplify. 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 Yep. In your stories, in your strategies. Yep. <laughs> Go deep. Yeah. Yeah. And like then it. have a call to action for people on those simple. Please say more about that. Right. Because you can shout all day long and post great content. Right. But they're gonna feel motivated and moved to help in some way. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and direct that energy right. and channel it for them. If you need volunteers, put a call for volunteers on at the end of that great story that you just wrote, you know, and that goes with all types of content, Put your call to action. People miss that a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, You'll motivate them and just kind of like leave them with nowhere to direct them, you know? And again, with the call to action, simplicity, (laughs) Yep. you know, not vague, very clear. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It's what I've been focusing on and and learning and simple. Don't say, Hey, if you want to donate here or here or here, just, for that one right. story, that one message, keep it streamlined, keep it simple. Yep. Yep. One simple call to action. So with the hurricane, what are you guys focused on now in terms of communication? Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of at the tail end of it. I know you've told me before that the job doesn't end as quickly it as it might, like, might yeah. seem that it does. So this next guest is a buddy of mine and he has been for a while and he's a local filmmaker. 
He's what you might call a look-alike audience. But we are different. But we are both indie filmmakers on the struggle, on the grind. And so I knew I wanted to talk to him because there's a couple of different areas where we really line up. And one is what we're going to hear him talk about now. His name is Evan Kidd, and he is a young, up-and-coming, star-in-the-making independent filmmaker from North Carolina who reps NC hard. And he's really genuine and authentic. And that's what we talked about in our podcast is how to find your true audience. So you're not spamming everybody, but find your true fans that you speak to, that you can be yourself to, and that want to that want to support you for who you are. And authenticity and being open and honest and, and, and empathic, all these are things that I have been really promoting in my storytelling and why I love storytelling so much. And Evan just gets it. And Evan and I talk about how to use authenticity to find our true loyal audiences. The ones that will watch any film that we create or read anything that we write. Again, we still see this theme of going deeper with a smaller audience. Check it out. Hear the wise words of my friend Evan Kitt. Yeah. How do you know when to to ask those big favors? Yeah. Um, I think, again, it sort of ties back to how you present yourself. I think today with you know Twitter and Instagram culture, we want to make every post look like it's our biggest thing. Good point. Um, which is obviously important because mm-hmm. you want to market yourself mm-hmm. effectively. I mean, I host a podcast and make films and I want everything to pop when I post it. Yep. Um, but at the same time, certain projects that I make are going to be bigger endeavors than others. And so I think it's important to not overwhelm people mm-hmm. because, you know, if, you know, I, I post a podcast, try to do it twice a month. And if every single time I post an episode, I'm messaging a hundred friends, mm-hmm. Hey, here's the new one. Check it out. Hey, here's the, it gets spammy. Right. So and what happens because of that? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you lower your brand. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you kind of attach the, the spammy super caffeinated person <laughs> to your brand mm-hmm. and you may not want that. I mean, right. maybe you do, I don't know, but I don't think majority of people do. And so, and audiences don't respond well to that yeah. anymore. Like we're in this, people are hyper aware of things these days, and mm-hmm. they're sick of being sold to. That's that's another thing I'm telling people all the oh, time. Yeah. Like, you can't come at them like that. You got to be, you know, back to that authenticity, yeah. and like they're sick of being sold to. Yeah. Well, I mean, authenticity is permeating through pretty much everything right now, from culture to politics to art to business. I mean, I feel so too. You know, people a lot of people would rather watch someone like their favorite artist do a, you know, 30 minute Instagram live Q and a, then go watch, you know, Esquire's five minute interview. Great point. Because it's coming from the heart. It's going to be authentic. There's no editing. There's no cuts. A lot of what they say is going to be what they say. Mm -hmm. And so I think people, people have a filter that they can sort of look at that through and they can kind of determine what is legit and what isn't legit. Well, something that I think, yeah, absolutely translates through that to, you know, not only filmmaking, but business and anything else is uh, with the kind of democratization of, you know, tools and media and cameras and everything. It's so easy. I mean, it's not easy, but it's easier Mm -hmm. to make stuff now or start a business now than it was um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, You know, obviously you still have to work, but I think it's important to adjust your expectations to those rising tides Mm -hmm. because when you make your first feature film, 
I, like many before me, I thought, wow, this, if it doesn't get in all the festivals, it's a flop. If it doesn't do this, it's a flop. And we played some great festivals. We cracked Kukaloris Film Festival, which is like one of my favorites growing mm -hmm. up. Yeah. It really inspired me as a kid. So, I mean, that just was a personal yeah. achievement. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, there was no Sundance, there was no South by, there was no Tribeca. I mean, you know, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. And, and not every film needs to play that. And so I think you just need to get your film to the audiences that need to see it, but also understand that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Director's Calling Cards was a really quality short film. Mm -hmm. Now I think Director's Call uh, Calling Cards is a really quality, you know, low budget indie feature that they made in their backyard for two, three thousand dollars over the course of a couple weekends with some friends then you can start to you know row that boat a little more out to sea mm -hmm. but i think people expect just because it's the feature the asteroid has to have a giant impact yeah and well there's something i've been studying so much about and a lot most business is shifting this way it's like it's not about the breadth it's about the depth right and the yeah. deeper impact with a smaller group you know mm -hmm. your tribe as they say or um kevin kelly's piece about a thousand true fans i don't know if you read that but, yeah. but check that out if you haven't because people think that they need a million fans it's like no if you have yeah. a small loyal group which we kind of already talked about mm -hmm. right those are the people that are going to like lift you up and, and let you be able to do what you want to do and it'll grow with time but it's like it's not about mm -hmm. reaching as many people as possible it's yeah. about affecting the people you know or yeah. impacting them in the, in the biggest way my next guest i met initially in 2018 at the Create Good Conference. She was also from a journalism background, but she was working with nonprofits. And the Create Good Conference is a nonprofit communicator conference, and it is one that I presented at in 2019. But we hit it off. Just I picked up a copy of her book and started talking to her about what I was doing. I had just launched Six Second Stories, so I was in the beginning stages of like, hey, I'm working with nonprofits, here's what we're trying to do. And I told her we were going to start a podcast, and it would be a while, but I wanted her to be on it. And months later, maybe six months later, uh, I gave her the call, and she came on it, and we talked. we talked for a while. She is awesome, and... We talked about, you know, Evan and I talked about authenticity, but also in that little recap, I mentioned empathic, you know, telling our stories, being authentic and, and honest and vulnerable, but also being empathic, which means to have empathy, to know, to truly understand what it's like to be someone else or to come from where they are coming from, to understand another's perspective. And one of the best ways to do that that I still try to work on is to listen. Antoinette, Antoinette and I talk about how to be a good interviewer and how to get the gold out of people, okay? And it's not by dominating what they're going to say and leading them the way you want them to lead. It's by listening. We talked about interview skills that you can use. We talked about connecting with people on that empathic level so that you can get Great, great sound bites and great content from them. This is something that is crucial if you're going to tell your story through other people, through people that you impact, or your success stories. This is the way you have to do it. You don't dominate the space. You listen, you listen to understand, and you let them talk. So I'm going to let Antoinette talk and tell you a little bit more about it. Check it out. We have to do a lot of listening, right? 
a lot of listening and you know people just don't have time for that anymore i think that's the biggest challenge is you know most people are like well that sounds like something else i have to put on my to-do list and i'm like you know we could probably change the world if if we just did a little bit more of that i definitely get the best quotes from people when they say let me just think about that for a second mm-hmm. and if you're not again you can't do that on live radio right or live television let me not even pretend that that's acceptable but for somebody to say, let me just think about that question for a second. And then we talk about it. Mm-hmm. I get the, I get the best quotes. I forget who said this. Um, Cause I interview a lot of people too. And sometimes it's about tough subjects, but there's a, a tip out there. I forget where it originated, where it's like when someone's silent for a moment and they're thinking about something as an interviewer, often we feel the need to jump in and kind of save them from that awkward moment. But if you just relax and let everyone sit in that kind of awkward silence for a moment, it can be really powerful. And, and generally what happens is a great quote comes after that. But a lot of times, like I have to coach myself not to jump in and like answer for them when there's that first three to five seconds of silence, when what's really happened is they're just trying to collect their thoughts because they have thoughts about this. They're not just stumped. But that awkward silence, granted, like you said, in live television and radio, we got to find something to, to do with that dead space. But when I'm interviewing somebody for a film, I really try to give them that space now. And, just, and I don't say anything. I don't try to throw them a lifeline. I just let them marinate on it and think about it. And then that's usually when those profound thoughts and quotes come out. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, we, I think we have to get more comfortable with silence. Uh, And I think that what I mute myself when I interview people and I tell them that and I say, you know, I'll, I'll come back. And so it's sometimes it's after that awkward pause because people go blah, 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 (laughs) blah. And then there's this break and you see that in the audio. Cause I'm, I know you're used to like looking at audio and so you see this gap in the audio and then the most beautiful thing comes in after that silence. Mm And so, you know, I won't jump back in and, and unmute myself. And sometimes, it, you know, people will be like, are you there? Because <laughs> to being interrupted are you in the there? culture, we're used to, you know, uh-huh, yeah. And people, mm-hmm. someone, you know, even co-signing. And so I think that there's something really powerful in that silence. At some point in season two, I had a great conversation with a woman that I met speaking at a convention We were both speaking at a conference in Norway. She's Norwegian. And at the time, I was—I actually played a film of mine. I played Raise Up, and I was just giving a little 15-minute speech to intro the film, and then we played the film. She was speaking about, guess what, storytelling. And she was amazing. She was a great speaker, and we made friends. And I knew that when I launched the storytelling lab that I wanted to talk to her. I didn't know the heat that she was going to bring and how many other areas we lined up and saw eye to eye on. So what does this all mean? Where are we all going with this breaking down the art and science of storytelling? What is the statement that we are trying to make here? And the statement that I am trying to make and that I often try to make when I'm leading workshops or working with with individuals is that the tools will always change. What I am trying to do is create a psychology and a a philosophy and to create great storytellers, to sharpen that skill so that whatever 
the tools are, which change all the time, we can still tell strong stories that create empathy, connect with people, and inspire them to action. Nobody understood that better than Elaine when I talked to her, and she summed it up in a beautiful way. I'm going to let you hear it. But that, if anything, is what I want you to take away. And sometimes it rubs people the wrong way because they may be taking a video storytelling workshop that I'm that I'm leading, and they want to know. People want the easy way out. They're going back and forth and spinning in circles, trying to create content for all the different platforms and trying to abide by quote-unquote best practices that may or may not be the best practices for them. And they're trying to find one tool that will fix it or, or use all the tools that are supposed to make you be great filmmakers or whatever. And what I am trying to say, my whole philosophy and stance on all this is the timeless skill of storytelling is what we need to cultivate so that we can apply it no matter what tool we have, no matter what situation we're in. If I meet you in the elevator, I can use it. If I am writing to you in micro content like social media or longer form content like a blog, I can use it. If I am making a film, I can use it. If I am telling a story live at a storytelling event, I can use it. If I post a picture, I can use it. Okay, that is what we are trying to get you to understand when we break down the art and science of storytelling. Elaine has a great way of saying it. It's all about the heart and being true to yourself knowing your unique qualities or your swirl effect, knowing your true audience, being authentic, and working with the tool that we all have. Everything is constructed so no one has the truth. And the trouble is people read a lot of self-help books, and that's good. I mean, I have two, 3,000 books I read a lot, but I'm critical as well because no tool is better than the hand who holds the tool is about... You can read a lot of books, you can study a lot of methods, you can learn a lot of things, but it's ultimately about how you apply it and how you understand it. Because I think we read a lot of stuff and we understand it intelligently or mentally, but we we don't get it by heart. Mm. And we have trouble applying it, so we're just using uh, a coaching method or we're just using a career advice method or we're just taking something someone else said and did and that's good but we have to put our own spin on it we have to incorporate it and internalize it and kind of ask ourselves the question what does this mean for me how can i apply this in the manner that it feels good to me how can i work with what i have instead of trying to become someone else or doing someone else because i think in that span between where i'm now and where i want to be I kind of get a lot of people get depressed because they're not there yet. They don't have the tools. They're not that kind of person. But I mean, everyone has a lot of resources. And if people could learn to use what they have and turn some of their disadvantages or some of the things that they think, oh, this is a weakness. I say to people, your biggest weaknesses can be your biggest strength. And your biggest strength can also be your biggest weaknesses. So how can, it's nothing to do with the theory. It's how your hand is holding the you know, hammer to hit that nail if you want to hit it from the side or however you do it. But I think and it goes back to being wholehearted mm-hmm. because if you use a method or you do things and you don't feel it in here, I think it's useless. 
So you need to be aware that you are holding actually, yeah, you, you're you're holding the you're the hand that's holding the tool, and you can have ten thousand tools, but none of them work. Or you can have two tools and be wholehearted and be authentic and have a purpose and have a mission. Sometimes that's all you need. Well, guys, that is it for our recap episode, our highlight reel episode. Thank you so much to everyone that has listened to any minute of any episode of the Storytelling Lab. I hope you go back and listen to some more. Share it with your friends. It would be really helpful if you've gotten any value out of any of our episodes for you to write a review for us. Like I said, share it to anybody that you think would benefit from it. But the more that we can let people know, then the more we can teach people how to be better storytellers and how to use that in their marketing, branding, and overall strategies. We're trying to make the world a better place, people. I think that we can do it by sharing stories. Again, I appreciate you guys so much for joining us on this journey. And I hope that you're learning a little bit along the way. Because again, selfishly, I certainly am. Have a great day, everybody. Peace and love to you all. And we will see you back on the Storytelling Lab Season 3 coming back in August 2019. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.